Uh, let's go to God with a word of prayer. Then we're going to uh, jump into our second half of our lesson from last week, recommitting to relationships. Let's uh, go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we want to come before you once again, just thanking you for the cross and, and what Jesus did for us and, and, uh, and the example that he set for us, God, so that we can uh, be like him to one another and to those who don't know Jesus. God, we pray that you will help us in this effort to really uh, change the culture uh, of, of uh, godly relationships in our church to really become more like him, uh, to be like him to one another, to be like him to those who are seeking you. And uh, we pray that we can take our relationships deeper and higher, God, and for your glory. We pray that you'll continue to bless this time in your word and let my words be yours. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week we began to talk about the need to recommit to godly relationships. And uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time today, we started a sermon series, uh, which is basically more than a series because we're actually putting some action to, uh, to, these, uh, to these lessons. So this is just our Sunday, uh, I guess if you want to call it our Sunday prep for the direction where we're going as a church. We're, we're getting recommitted to relationships uh, in the church. We're calling it covenant relationships. You can call it discipline, call it whatever you want, but we're recommitting to godly relationships here in the Harlem Church. And, um, and I believe that God has been waiting for us to do this. I honestly believe that. I believe that God has been wanting for us to really uh, get back into one another's lives, love each other the way he hopes and expects we would, and uh, we only can benefit from that. Amen? So the ba- we know that the basis of uh, this is, is Christ and the example that he set for us to follow. We know that Jesus started off as Lord, teacher, rabbi, and then he made this transition in his relationship with those who followed him, and he says, I call you friends now. Now we, we, we've gone from from a teacher, mentor, over uh, on the relationship now to, you're my friend. We're, we're friends, so I'm dying not for students. I'm dying for my friends. And, 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 and I don't know about you, but, you know, when you have that connection and someone does something for you in a loving way, it, it does your heart good to know that, man, this is my friend. I can always count on that person. And that's who Jesus was. He knew that his time was short. And therefore, he poured himself out into a few people. And the purpose of that was that these men would change the world, that he would pour himself into, into a few men and that these men would pour themselves into others and it would continue to go on and on until the whole world felt the love of Jesus through relationships. That is God's plan. That's the only plan that God has given us. And so we can't go back and change it. This is God's plan, is to be involved in one another's lives. Now, this is really what we're talking about here. A few people influencing one another for Christ to help make, maintain, and mature disciples. That's what Jesus left us to do, and that's what we're called to do, and we will co- continue to commit to doing. So what does this mean? This means that we're in a covenant relationship with each other. When we said Jesus is Lord... We didn't just sign up for membership in the New York City Church. We said that I am committed to making Jesus Lord of my life, but I'm also committing to the relationships of the other disciples in the body. That I'm not just going to be Sally sit alone. 
or 007 Christian. No, I am going to be involved in my brothers' and sisters' lives, and I'm going to allow them to be involved in my life. We committed to that. We signed that contract when we said Jesus is Lord. We're going to be involved in each other's lives. And by, you know, I don't know about you, but I've benefited from the commitment and the covenant relationships that has been in my life over the past 20 years. I thank God for everybody, both good and bad, that God has put in my life. And I don't regret one day being involved in a covenant relationship. Yes, there's some things I would have liked to have done differently, but I don't regret one single day because I know that is why I'm here today. That's why I'm here today. And in fact, this is such a good thing that a young man named Tavon Edwards, the son of Stephen Abba Edwards, is going to make that covenant relationship commitment today, shortly after church. To God be the glory. His parents are absolutely committed to covenant relationships. And I don't think it's a question that God is blessing and rewarding that faith. You know, the Bible talks about he who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. And they've gone out of their way. And I believe that God will bless us in the same way. You know, we're committed to one another. We're not just part of a local fellowship. We are a part of a global, global fellowship, some of which we'll get to take part of at the Thrive Conference. If you haven't registered, I encourage you to because let me tell you something. When it's one thing to come to church every week and to see your friends, right? We see each other every week. But when you go to these conferences and you get to see on a grander scale what we're a part of, that blows your mind. It blows your mind because, man, you get to see brothers and sisters who have been in New York who've gone away and is still a part of the church and people you never met before. My wife and I, we made friends in Africa. We made friends all over the world through these conferences. And let me tell you something. They are fighting for relationships in Africa just as hard as they're fighting for relationships in New York. We are part of a global movement, and we get to see that at conferences like this. You know, if it was just us and God, then we'd be off the hook. But we're not off the hook. We're not off the hook. You know, there are over 59 passages in the New Testament alone that talks about one another relationships. So God, Jesus didn't die for you and baptize. You were baptized into Christ and he said, go, all right, go fend for yourself. Don't make the Ethiopian eunuch the standard. Okay, that was a... That was an isolated situation right there. And you better believe he went back and made disciples. We're called to be in a relationship with one another, to be involved with each other and in, in each other's lives. You know, being part of God's family involves practicing the one another scriptures with each other. And so today's lesson is about needing to intentionally be involved in these relationships. This is part two of recommitting to the relationships, recommitting to these one another relationships in our lives. Some of us are already doing, some of us have never stopped. And amen to for you. And then there's some of us who have. And, and, and really, it doesn't take a whole lot to get back, get, to get involved again. It doesn't. But we're doing this because it won't just naturally happen. We've actually tried that before. We, we've tried to just, okay, guys, you know what? Just find somebody. 
just, just, just go in God and, and, and let the goodness in your heart pull you towards another good person. We've tried that before, all right? But we also know, for those of us who, who, who studied any type of physics and, you know, science class and slept through it, hopefully you didn't sleep through this, but you remember the law of physics, the law of inertia, right? It's an object at rest stays at rest, right? That's what it is. And an object in motion stays in motion. So in short, an object is going to do what it do, right? If it's at rest, it's going to stay at rest until something moves it. I think the same thing could be said about a church. A church at rest stays at rest. But a church in motion, the only thing that can stop a church in motion is an outside force that is more powerful than God. And last thing I checked, there's nothing more powerful than God. So we want to be in motion. We don't want to be a church at rest. Amen? That's me right there on the couch after the Knicks game. In the same way, I think that God really wants us, the way this happens, it's really hard to move everyone all at once. It starts with relationships. And this is why everybody's important because if you're at rest and you're not, you're, you're not moving, that becomes contagious. But if everybody's in motion, if everyone's going somewhere, if we're all going in the same direction, then guess what? That's also contagious. And so we already know that most of us want to be in one another relationships. You told us that. Most of us want to be. The problem has been too many of us are at rest, and we need to get going. So change doesn't just happen. Change has to be intentional. See, the way, think of it like this. The Christian way of life is we get poured into so that we can pour out into others. Someone pours into us, and we pour out into others. That's what the Christian life is, 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 is about. We are refreshed by God. You know, in Corinthians, Paul says that, you know, for those of us who have received comfort, what are we to do with that comfort? Comfort others, right? Some of us have gone through some incredible trials, some incredible crises in life, and we receive comfort from the Lord through some relationships right here in the church. We don't just take that and keep it to ourselves because someone else is going to need to be comforted. So what do we do? We take that comfort that we receive from God. We take that comfort we receive from one another, and we go and we give it to someone else in need. That's how it works. That's the Christian way of life. We don't just take and keep to ourselves. We receive, and then we give. We're refreshed, and then we refresh others. We're a lot like channels. We're connected with the purpose of refreshing one another. Now, God gives us, he gives to us so that we can continue to give. And whatever you want to call that, you want to call it discipling, you want to call it apprenticeship, you want to call it teaching, nurturing, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter so much as what we call it as it does if we're doing it. So it doesn't, we can call it whatever we want to call it. It really doesn't matter to God. What matters is that we're doing something. That's what's important. So the language is not as important as whether or not we're making it happen. 
Now, in case you, know, you don't know or you forgot, we are a discipling movement. We are a church that believes in helping one another. Now, some may say, well, James, I don't see discipling in the Bible. Okay, well, then you call it whatever you want. We just call it discipling because it makes sense. And personally, it rolls easy off the tongue for me. But I don't really care what it's called. But we do it because it is what Jesus commands. There are a lot more scriptures to support the attitude, the practice, the commands of discipling than there are that does it. There are no scriptures you can use to support you not helping somebody. Not even your enemy. Jesus pulls that all stops. We're like, okay, well, look, I can love people who love me back. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Even those you don't like. Even those who don't like you. You need to still love them. It's all about relationships with God. And so we can't just be spectators. This is not a spectator sport. This is a church. We're called out for a purpose. Sunday morning is not the main event. In fact, the magic happens in the living rooms of our homes. At the dinner tables in our homes, we're sitting down, we're talking with one another, we're getting together. Wherever you want to go, Starbucks, I don't care where it is, that's where the magic happens. It doesn't happen with James Warren's message. Matter of fact, by the time you leave and the end of the song, you're going to forget half the points I make anyway, which is why we record them and post them. But for the most part, the magic happens in your home, sitting across from one another, Bible open, praying, talking, how's it going, pray for me, how's it going with you. That's where the magic really happens. That is where the magic. So if you only look towards Sunday for that to happen, you are doing yourself a huge disservice. You're robbing yourself of an opportunity to grow, to be matured in Christ, and to help someone else. Now, there have been several books written on the topic. Matter of fact, I went online. There are conferences on discipling. You know, we've had books, so if you want resources, here are a couple books. Uh, you know, Gordon Ferguson's book, Discipling. Gordon Ferguson, uh, you know, it's funny because he was a part of another church, and he, he happened to uh, been invited to our church, and he saw something that he, he didn't see in his own church. And guess what it was? Discipling. So what did he do? He went back to his church, and his message, his first message to his church, returning to his church, was the missing piece. That was the, the title of his sermon, the missing piece, because that was the missing piece in his church. Now, they shared the, the very same principles and beliefs we do doctrinally, but they were not practicing the one another scriptures. The master plan of evangelism is all about friendship. It's all about Jesus influencing a few men, pouring himself into a few men that will go on and change the world. These are all great resources. But what are we talking about? We're talking about proclaiming, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we can present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the goal. Is we want to pre- present everyone fully mature in Christ. In verse 28 in NIV, he says, perfect in Christ. Now, here's the thing. This is us doing this on the front end, not God. We're, we're the ones that are, are, are working and laboring, so we're doing we're, and it's not easy. I'm not even going to say, this sounds like a lot of work, 
And it really is. Paul said, yes, it is a lot of work. But then he goes on to say, to this end, I strenuously contend. To this end, I labor. Struggling. It's going to take work. But that's us on the front end, setting up these times, going after people, initiating, making calls, returning calls, moving our schedules, structuring our lives around, really helping one another to grow. So that's us on the front end. But there's a lot that happens on the back end that we don't realize. And Paul talks about that. He says, with all the energy, Christ so powerfully works in me. God gives us the power. He gives us the energy. He gives us the endurance. He gives us the tenacity to really go after each other and stay involved in each other's lives. And the fact that there's growth that happens is the power of God. That's God doing it on the back end. That's God behind the scenes, working in our hearts, working with those talks. We may sit with each other. We don't like what that's been said. But then you walk, you go home, and and the Holy Spirit is like, you know what? You know you need to listen to what they were just saying. You ever had those kind of talks? I've walked out a lot of disciple times angry. And on my way, I'm thinking, you know what? I don't know, man. I I might look for somebody else because it always seems to leak aside. I can't be wrong all the time. And I'm in the car, and, I'm like, and she's like, on her phone, texting sisters. And, and in my mind, because my mind can go there, I'm like, see, she's she, she over there telling the sisters that James got it again. That, you know, that he, and I'm like, you know, but then God speaks to my heart. And he reminds me, James, yeah, but you are a sinner, bro. Like, don't you, son, I, I love you, but... Were they off? Were you wrong? It's not about who's wrong. It doesn't matter who wins the fight. It's about being right. Are you right with each other? And so we may not agree on the front end, but somebody needs to point it out. And then what God does is he takes that time and he works in our hearts and he convinces our thoughts that "Mm, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on the love. Let's focus on the encouragement that you received in that time. And so Paul says that's going to take work. It's going to take work. And I think as a church, if I'm honest, and if we're honest, at some point we just got tired of doing the work. I think some of us got tired of doing the work, maturing ourselves, training ourselves to be godly. And I think some of us have just got tired of helping people. We started off out the gates. Man, I want to help every, I'll disciple the whole church, James. Just give me anybody. And halfway into that year, you're like, whoa, bro, I can't do any, no mas, no mas, no mas. And we wrestle with verses like this. We get anxious when someone asks us, it's almost like you can kind of see it coming. They got that smile. Like, hey, bro, how you doing? It's like, oh, man. Who are they going to ask me to help get with now? And it's almost like we, we can feel it's like we're tired before they even ask us to do something. Right? But I believe that the real anxiety comes not so much from doing the work, but I mean, how am I going to do this? How am I going to make this happen, James? How do we implement these relationships? How do I make my life is already packed? My life is already full. My schedule is already full. How am I going to make this happen? 
Look, I'm not saying, guys, that this is easy. But let me tell you something. This church is not a church because there was not sacrifice involved. There were people who sacrificed their lives to see that we can have a relationship with God. And so it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take some work on our part. Now, in the past, the leaders, when we would just pass out a list with names and we would pair people up and put people together and say, okay, these are, this is who you guys are going to get with. And, and we would just kind of, you know, that's kind of how it, it happened. That's kind of how discipline was, was uh, for the most part, in the church. It's like, okay, Bob, Monique, you guys get with Steve and Shirley and go with God and, and, and just make it do what it do. You know, just, 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 just make it happen. Just keep each other faithful. You know, we just, but we would honestly spend, you know, my way, we would labor for hours thinking, okay, who would be good to get with this person? How could they help each other? And, and we would spend time in prayer and get advice from other people. And, and we would come up with these lists. And, you know, for some time it was good. It, it was okay. You know, it, it served its purpose. It helped some people, but it didn't help others. And so we're thinking, okay, well, you know, we, we tried that. Now, I don't think it was good or bad. I think, honestly, most of my relationships were assigned. I didn't choose any of my disciple partners. Even now, <laughs> I didn't choose. It was like, okay, we're going to get together with you. I'm like, amen. As long as you're close to God, amen. But from the time I studied the Bible, and I'm a grown man. I'll be 45 years old this year. All right? I've been assigned. And you know, let me tell you something. It, and this, for some of those relationships, it was like the odd couple. Now, I'm not going to tell you who was Felix and who was, who was Oscar, but some of those relationships, I'm like, how in the world? What were they thinking? Really? Like, this dude, I mean, does he even know where the inner city is? I'm like, how is he going to help me? But you know what? It only takes an ounce of humility to make the cake taste good. You don't need a whole lot, just a little bit of humility. And we make it work. We make it work. You know, I pray that whenever God puts someone in my life, I pray to become that person's Timothy. Even if I believe that I'm more qualified and more have more responsibility than this person, I believe, you know what, if this is who God has put in my life, that God help me be his Timothy. That's my way of humbling myself, preparing myself to be train and look it's worked for me for 20 years so I don't know you might want to try that I don't know my wife when she was 18 years old was given an older a much older uh Latin woman to disciple and she's like how am I gonna make this happen I'm 18 years old this woman could be you know I mean she's like much older than I am they made it work they made it work so there are pluses pros and cons good and bad to making it happen but here's the thing. We're not going back to a hierarchy. All right? So let me just kind of relieve you with that. We're not going to go to this, to this hierarchy type of model. This right here is how the New York Knicks is set up. Right? You got, you got your head coach. You got your assistant coach. You got your assistant head coach, which I think we should really do without. Um, then you got, you got your player development guy. You got your strength coach. And you got other people playing different roles. Right? There's a hierarchy right there. That's how that's all set up, all right? Now, here's the thing. 
that works in the NBA, to have a head coach, to have, you know, all that stuff. That works in, in sports, right? Structure in and of itself is not good or bad. It's how you implement it that determines whether it's good or bad. You can have a good structure. You can have a bad structure. Structure in and of itself is not good or bad. Think about it. When it comes to money, right, if someone dropped a stack of money in your lap, is that wrong? And the church said, no, right? <laughs> it's like, that's what you're going to do? That's your next point? No, I mean, money in and of itself is not bad, right? What makes money bad is the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. What does it say? The love of money. So in other words, money is, is amoral. Money, money doesn't have a good or a bad thing. It's not a good or bad thing. It's what we do with it that makes it either immoral or good. So structure works the same way. It's how we use it. If we're using the structure to lord it over people, then yeah, that's not good. But if we're using the structure to help strengthen people, mature people, then yeah, it has some benefits. And so we got to look at structure the way God sets it up and not look at it as, well, this is bad. You know, structure is not good. It's not bad. It's how it's set up. So we look at relationships. We got a lot of new relationships that are always forming in the church. It's effective to have some sort of structure. When we have new members coming in the church, that's important. We have people transferring in from other churches, moving in from other churches. People are getting baptized. Someone's got to help nurture these young Christians into maturity. You've got to have some structure. If we just baptize somebody and say, okay, now go with God and figure it out, that person's not going to last a year. If we have new members who are coming into the church and they don't really know anyone and we don't have a structure set up to, to get them acclimated into the, to, the, to the culture of the church here, people won't do well. They don't last long. And so we have to have some sort of structure. Um, we have to have some way of helping people. You know, before, what we would do is we worked out discipling to happen within the Bible talks or the small groups. You know, we, it was, you know, well, Everybody in that group disciples each other. You keep each other faithful. And, and, you know, and that worked for some groups. It didn't work for other groups. It's just something we tried out. You know, again, it was a structure. It wasn't good or bad. depended on how it was implemented, right? We even tried discipling groups where you had one person who, you know, oversaw a, a group and, and, and made sure that people talked. And, and depending on who was leading that group depended on how effective the group was. As we know in corporate America and in the business world, there's a such thing called groupthink. Where you can have some groups who can develop a certain attitude or, or personality that's not necessarily good for the body in general. And if you have one person who has a dominant personality in the group, nobody else in the group gets to talk. And so this person comes in and because maybe they're an initiator and you have a few other people in the group who are loners, if the initiator comes in, they're going to always offer up something. And if the persons who are loners, they may have a lot to say, but because they're not as assertive, 
they're, they're going to feel like, you know, why should I come? This person is taking up all the air in the group. And so a lot of this comes down to what this all represents. What do these lines represent? What, what, what are we saying that, that, that needs to connect us? What is it that we want to see happen? What, what, what shows to have worked and what can we do going forward? So what do these lines represent? Well, Philemon 1, he says, Therefore, although in Christ, this is Paul speaking, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Now, this is deep right here. Depending on the type of leader you are, you can feel very emboldened to like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. If you're an authoritarian type of leader, it's like, yes, I do what I say. That is a lot easier. I'll be honest. To just say, all right, this is, your, this is what you're going to do. This is who you're going to get with. This is where we're going. It's a lot easier to do that. But Paul also wants to abide by the whole command of love, right? He is given the God-given authority. He could just command the church to do what they need to do. But he remembered Jesus. He remembered the time on the road with Jesus and his disciples and his disciples, James and John. They were arguing over who was the greatest, who would be appointed to sit at Jesus' right and Jesus' left. And so what Jesus did to deal with that, he said, look, he called them together, said, you know that those who regarded as, as rulers or the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercised authority over them. Paul thought, well, I could order you, but instead, I appeal to you on the basis of love. He said, instead of ordering you to do this, I want to appeal to you on the basis of love. Jesus says, not so with you. It said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Here again, Jesus is saying, you're not to lord it over those. You're to love them, serve them. That's who's the greatest in the kingdom. You know, with leadership, when it comes to leadership, the world paints a different picture of what leaders are. Leaders are, are viewed as strong, forceful, commanding, you know, generals and and. These guys are the, the stars of action film. You see them take charge and, and they, they, they disregard authority and they walk to, their, to the beat of their own drum and they go against everything and, and they blow stuff up along the way. That's the world's view of leadership. But Jesus' view is no. If you want to be great, you must be their servant. You must be their servant. So what are we calling people to do when we ask them to serve, to lead? We're calling you to love and serve people. To serve people. You know, I believe that it's a lot harder to appeal on the basis of love. Because now you're talking to people's hearts. You're not, you're not commanding people to do something. You're, you're appealing to them. And that takes a lot more work to do. That takes more involvement. That takes more influence. But these lines that connects us, they're not from order, but they're a plea 
on the basis of love, hey, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's come together. Let's make something happen together for God. Let's help each other. And I believe that God was showing us that some of us really didn't love each other as much as we thought we did. You know, we say we love, but what is love? Love is an action, right? It's not a, it's not a word. You, you show how much you love someone by putting some action behind those words. And I think, in theory, we loved each other. But in practice, we stopped loving each other the way we need to. We say, yes, I love the church, I love everybody, but when you're asked to help somebody, ooh, that's when you really know if you love. Well, I love the brothers and sisters, I love Harlem, I love, but when someone wrongs you, how quick are you to forgive them? I love everybody, I love James and Zalika, I love, oh my God, I love them, I love them, I love them. But when we do something to hurt or offend you, do you keep records of wrong or are you quick to forgive? We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're all sinners. We hurt each other. But that's what makes us stronger, is that we're able to forgive one another. We're able to move forward. So it's not about just talking about love. we got to show we love each other. And I believe that in this area, God wants us to grow in our love and our concern for one another. You know, it's interesting. You know, there was a time... In our church, when leading was it, people couldn't wait to become Bible talk leaders. They were like, look, sign me up for the Christian Jubilee. I mean, we were, it was, it was awesome. We wanted to serve. We wanted to give. We would dream. We, could, we had so much vision. Nowadays, it's like playing tag. All right, bro, uh, you're it. Oh, man. I'm it again. And then you run around and... You run around trying to catch somebody, and then you find, tag, you're it. Oh. And then you run around, and you run around, and you tag somebody. I'm not even playing. I'm not, I'm not playing. So. And then that person, all right, oh, you run around, you run around, and then you tag somebody, tag, you're it. Nope. I'm on, I'm on uh, what's that? Uh, I'm on base. So you can't touch. No, I'm on base. You can't stay on base forever. You got to get in the game. You got to get in the game. We need people loving and serving. Now, before things did get a little crazy, because instead of serving and loving, some of us were lording it over people. And I believe it's because some people really didn't know how to love people. And so to get people to do what they wanted, they had to lord it over them. They had to exert more aggression. And, and, but when you love people, when you serve people, you know, people don't just say it goes. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so some people were like, no, you need to know what I know. But they're like, yeah, I want to know, but do I, you don't even care about me. And so for some of us, it wasn't effective. It did come across abrasive. Because they were put in a position over you and you had to submit. Otherwise, you were labeled as, de- as, as divisive. You were labeled as, as disunified. And it's like, no, this person you put over me is lording it over me. He doesn't love me. She doesn't even know me. She didn't take time to really get to know me and love me and get in my life. So, yes, I want to do the right thing. But can you please show me a little love? 
And so what did God do? God, like any good parent, disciplines his children. When a child gets out of line, it's our responsibility as parents to discipline them, to get them back in line. And it doesn't always feel good. Matter of fact, it shouldn't feel good because they need to know that that's wrong. And you got to make a statement that they'll remember that that's wrong. I can never do that again. And so what, what did God do? God disciplined us, which is a good thing. It didn't feel good, but that shows that we are his legitimate children because he disciplined us. It shows that we belong to him. You ever wanted to discipline somebody else's kids? Like maybe you've been at the supermarket shopping and you see this kid go over. You're like, give me five minutes. You'll have a brand new child. Or what about right here in the church? Just ever want to discipline somebody's kid in the church? Don't do that. We're trying to get connected. We ain't trying to tear nobody apart now. In Hebrews 12, verses 2, verses uh, 5 through 6, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Verse 11, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and, and peace for those who have been trained by it. So, what do we do with this? We don't make light because God will discipline us. Our part is how do we react to it? Number one, we don't make light of it. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. You know, if, if God has is, is made it clear that you've been harsh with people, then you can't, don't make light of what he did. You got to learn from that. You got to allow yourself to be trained by that. And then don't lose heart. Don't give up on the church because there were some people who didn't know how to connect with people who didn't love you the way you felt you deserved to be loved, and now you're just going to quit on everybody. Don't do that because God is going to discipline you wherever you go if you are his child. So whether it's here or someone else or where else, if God loves you and you step out of line, God is going to discipline. It might as well be with people who know you and people who can help you bounce back. We need to endure it and be trained by it. And honestly, I believe that the majority of the people in this room are those who want to do this, who have endured, who have, who, you know, we don't enjoy it, obviously, but you haven't made light of the Lord's discipline. You have not lost heart, and you're here wanting to be trained by it. And that's what I believe we have right now in this room. And so there must be a way for us to get this going. So, James, now what? Well, the ushers in a minute are going to come out, and they're each going to have a list of all the people we assigned. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> people are like, what? <laughs> so what do we do, right? This is Harlem. This is our current structure. Guess who that is, right? So we're kind of set up like this. You know, we got, you know, brother right here. He, he wants to get with this brother and, you know, hopefully influence him, spend some time with him, help him grow in the Lord. And then you got this brother right here. He just kind of transferred in, just came in from, you know, from out of town. And he's 
wanting to be a part of the church, so he's coming, he wants to get acclimated into the church, and this brother right here just has a good heart. I mean, he just wants to help everybody. He's been helping people. He's been getting in there with people. He wants to help people grow. Um, and then you got some new members here. You got some people, you know, coming in. And, and then, uh, you know, you got this brother right here. You know, we're just kind of reaching out to him, trying to get him pulled in. He's not really connected. So we're just trying to reach out and, and help him out. So, you know, this is kind of where our, our current structure is, right? Now, what does this lead to? That brother right there with the good heart, he's done, all right? He's like, look, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to help anybody. I just love God, and that's it. Leave me alone, all right? This brother is done. He's burnt out. I just want to get to heaven. And then we got the people right here with the question. He's like, okay, well, I moved in, and I was told that this was a good church, but nobody's got with me yet, so I don't really know what's going on. You got this new Christian who just got baptized, and people are like, okay, well, who's going to get, I was told that there were going to be someone helping me in the Lord, but he hadn't been connected to anybody yet, and then, you know, so, you got, you got this brother right here, he still has a good heart, he's still hanging on, but he's hanging on by a thread, because he got like three, four people he's helping. This brother right here is a ghost, nobody knows where he is. This person right here. Really inconsistent times, maybe gotten together maybe once in a blue moon with the person that's helping him. And then you got these people right here who are caught in secret sin because there's no one holding them accountable. And so they're, they're living in sin because there's no accountability in their lives. They're not getting with anyone. They're not confessing sin. They're not praying. They're not getting help. Is this where we want to stay? We don't want to stay like that. That's not healthy. All right? That's not healthy. So where do we go from here? Now, before, we were kind of like the Whole Foods type of church, right? We, we, we kind of, we, we, we were hoping that these relationships would have just organically sprung up, right? We were just kind of hoping that some that people would just, in the kindness of their heart, just get with each other and just seek people out and just, you know, just get in there and just love and just, just let the love pour out all up into people's hearts, Right? For some people, that has worked. Some people have made that connection and been able to keep those relationships working and keeping it good. And, and, and you probably were an initiator, probably mature in Christ. You probably really uh, have understood and saw the need. And so you've clung to those relationships. And maybe structure kind of scares you because you're thinking, man, look, I, I've, I've been around. I know what to do. I don't need anyone to tell me who to get with. Amen. So this top-down type of structure may, may not have worked for you. But then some of us who don't like structure, who aren't initiators, maybe you didn't, you, you enjoyed that time because there's nobody holding you accountable, nobody in your life, nobody asking you how you're doing. For some people, that worked for you. But was it best? And then there's some of us who have been dodging for years. Hopping from region to region to region. And as soon as somebody asks you, hey, bro, how you doing? Who's in your life? It's time to go. And right after church, we make a beeline to the next region. And you hop around so nobody knows who you are or what's going on, and you are okay with that. 
Because in the heart, at heart, you're a loner. You don't want people all up in your business. Here's the thing. Good things don't just organically happen. They don't. They don't just organically spring up. It has to be cultivated. So there's some challenges to that organic approach. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, it says the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. That organically happens. That will happen without anyone trying. No one's going to plant thorns and thistles and weed. They will just come up. If you own a home, if you try to plant a garden, you don't have to look for weeds. You don't have to plant weeds. Weeds just come up. So there is a problem with that organic approach. Because without even trying, weeds and thorns will come up. And, and, and right here, God says, by the sweat of your brow, you'll have to cultivate to produce anything good from that soil. And in Proverbs 24... Verses 30, 31, it says, I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. What does it say? Thorns that come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruin. This is kind of like our version of organic when it comes to the relationships. And I, I, I hope it goes well. I hope it all works out. But Jesus says that it doesn't take any effort for the weeds of life to spring up. He says what, sometimes what grows organically is not always good. In Mark chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, still others, like seed, talking about the, par- the parable of the, uh, the seed, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires, but th- other things come in and choke the word, making it, unfruitful. The thorns of life, the weeds of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, you don't have to go looking for that stuff. It will just naturally come up in your life. Without you even trying. It will just spring up. But what Jesus talks about right here is organic takes intentional cultivation. You got to go in for a garden to thrive for it to survive. There has to be someone in there pulling up the weeds and taking up the thorns. There's got to be someone in there involved cultivating that soil so that it grows and produces fruit. The same goes with our relationships. By yourself, weeds and thorns will just pop right up in your life. You don't even have to worry. You don't have to worry about that. It will happen. You have to be intentional about producing anything good in your life. It's got to be intentional. Being a disciple of Jesus, it didn't just happen. You didn't just stumble into the baptism, into the baptistry. Somebody had to cultivate faith and lordship into your life through the word of God. And the fruit of it is that you became a disciple of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. That's all intentional. So what happens when God sees these things coming up in our life, he prunes so that we can be even more fruitful. Our lives, we will allow these things, the deceitfulness of wealth, the distraction of life will come in and choke out 
the good things in your life. We become so connected to these things. We, we get so overwhelmed and so fixated on these things because they're choking out the word of God in our lives. So God will prove your life and take out anything that's keeping you from being fruitful and productive. And so we have to be intentional with these relationships. God wants us to be intentional, and he gives us a bunch of scriptures to help us along with that. In Hebrews 3, verse 12, he says, See to it, brothers, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it, make sure, right? Hebrews 12, verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, make sure. These are all intentional scriptures. There's no haphazardness about it. This is, no, you got to be intentional about this, right? See to it. Make sure. That means God is holding us responsible for each other. we got to make sure that we're helping each other, not just our close friends, but our brothers and sisters as a whole. We need to help people when God puts it on our heart too. Every person and every member, God doesn't want to leave anyone out. And I can't think of a parent that would want good for one child and not care about whether the other child has good in their life or not. We want all of our children. If you have multiple kids, you want all of your kids to do well. You want all of your kids to survive. You want all of your kids to be successful. Even the ones that may not have turned out the way you had hoped or dreamed. You still love them and want them to do well. God is no different. God wants every member, everyone, not one of you to have a sinful, unbelieving heart. No one misses the grace. No bitter root grows up. Nobody, everyone. God uses these words because they're intentional and he wants us to make sure that we're about this. But we need your cooperation in order to make this happen. We can't just make this happen on our own. We need your cooperation. And so, you know, when God puts leadership in the church, it's for a reason. It's to help cultivate these relationships. God's given us elders. He's given us evangelists. He's given us deacons. He's given us people to really help cultivate and feel responsible. Because somebody, at the end of the day, has got to feel responsible for making sure that happens. And guess who that is? I'm accountable before God Almighty for all of you. And, and look, and I, I tell you, sometimes it is a joy, sometimes it's a challenge. But we got to work together. We got to work together. It can't just be, all right, do what I tell you to do. And it can't just be, well, James, you need to do this. I mean, we got to work together out of love, on the basis of love. You know, when a shepherd has a, a responsibility for sheep, he lays his life down. We don't have hired hands leading Harlem. These are people who are serving, who love you, who care for you. And so we got to work together to see that this happens. We can't just want this for you more than you want it for yourself. And so I believe that we can make this happen. We can really help the church to get to a place where our relationships are glorifying God, but that we're also maturing each other and presenting one another perfect in Christ. So where does it start? It starts with us making a commitment with someone in the church. We are going to be in a relationship together. Let's help each other. We're putting the ball in all of our courts. 
not just mine and not just yours. We're going to work together. So over the next few months, someone is going to ask you, okay, we need you guys to help us out with this. Someone is going to ask you, is someone in your life? Do you have someone in your life? And do they agree to be in your life? Is there a commitment between you and this person? Don't just start shooting off names. Well, Bob, 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 Bob. So, bro, who's in your life? Oh, I get with, you know, I get with Eric. And Eric's like, we just went to the movie last week. No, it's got to be a mutual agreement. It's got to be one another. Okay? And don't just go to your favorite person. Remember when we looked at it, Corinthians, we're all competent to counsel. Everyone can help somebody. And if you feel like, okay, well, James, I'm not in a place where I can feel like I help someone, then here's the thing. You got to get off base. You got to get in the game eventually. So you need to come up with a plan. How and when can I position myself to help someone? You got to be intentional about it. Because if you haven't done it already, it's never going to happen. An object at rest stays at rest. We got to be intentional. Our goal before the year is out is for every single member of the Harlem region to be in a covenant relationship. It's not ideal. It's an expectation. It's what God expects, and it's what we should expect of each other. No one is left out. No one is left out. Everyone is involved. There's accountability. It means someone's going to be asking you, how's it going? Who are you getting together with? And be good about it. Be good about it because if it's not happening, just be honest and let's make it happen. You can only benefit from being in each other's lives. You can only benefit from that. And if you need help, if you're like, bro, I don't really know who to get with, then talk to us and we can help figure that out. Then we'll pull out the list, all right? Then we'll, do, then we'll pull out the list. <laughs> just kidding. But get poured into, pour yourself into others, right? God has given so much to you, we cannot keep it to ourselves. We got to give to each other. Amen? Understand that there is a balance. You can't just be given all the time. You need to be given to as well. And the Bible does teach that we also need to be responsible for carrying our own burdens. We're going to help each other carry our burdens, but then we also need to be responsible for carrying our own burdens. So that means that you're not just going to be dead weight that somebody's dragging along. Otherwise, you're going to be like that person who was burned out. People get burned out when they're carrying your weight for you. And they're not just doing it for you, but they're doing it for three, four other people. Okay? So we got to make sure we're carrying our own burdens as others are volunteering and helping and lovingly helping us carry ours. We got to make sure that there's some balance. What's the point? What's the purpose? What's the underlying current to all this? Is we're bringing it back to the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows, yet considered him stricken by God. He was smitten for us. He was smitten for us. Now, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll be honest, that's not me naturally. I'm like... Don't come to me with all your burdens. Take it to the Bronx, all right? 
But Jesus invited it. Jesus invited. And we owe it to God. We owe it to God to really help carry one another's burdens. Amen? Next week, we're going to talk about reconciling relationships. Because I believe that most of us want to do this. We're ready to do this. We're excited. We see God's purpose. We see God's will. We want to do it. But there's a step we got to take first before we can make it happen. And I believe that that's reconciling some of the relationships, reconciling some of the hurt that we, have made, we may have felt with some of these relationships so that we can move forward. Don't think that you can move forward by just burying the pain. You've got to get it reconciled, especially if it depends on you. Amen? I love you guys.